The book of John chapter 1 and verse number 1. If you're there, say man. The Bible says this. It says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him. We're still talking about the word. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I'm thankful to know that I've received him today. Has anybody received Jesus today? To them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I really like this verse right here. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm glad today to know that the Word was made flesh. Another writer said it like this. He said, who is the image of the invisible God? I want to preach to you about three things this morning, if I may, in the Holy Ghost. I want to talk to you about the Word, the image, and the flesh. And for the sake of your remembrance today, I want to title this message very specifically because I believe God is going to do a specific work in this altar call today. I want to preach to you, He understands. He understands. I want you to be convinced of that before we leave this house today. My God understands. He understands. Would you put your Bible down this morning? Would you lift a hand towards heaven? And could we ask the almighty God to enter into this room and to speak to us? And could we ask him to prepare our hearts for whatever it is that he would have to move in this house today? If you're going to receive what God has for you today, would you put your hands together and lift up a praise unto the King of Kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to tell your neighbor as you're seated this morning, he understands. That might not make much sense to you just quite yet, but I'm believing that there are going to be some people in this room who believe that before we leave this house today. He understands. Have you ever considered the pressure that must have been resting on John's shoulders as he began to record the story of the Messiah? 
Have you ever considered that pressure that he must have felt staring at that blank paper? Where do you start that story? That's, that's not one that you want to mess up. And you're looking at a man today who believes that all scripture is inspired by God. And don't, don't misunderstand me. I believe that all scripture is breathed by the Lord. I, I may not have a whole awful lot in common with John today, but I can tell you I have felt the pressure of sitting before a blank piece of paper with a pen in hand, wondering where on earth do we start. I felt the pressure of knowing that what I'm about to write is about to be read or preached to our young people or to you precious people and, and knowing, God, I, you've got a word, but I don't want to get in the way of your word. I felt that pressure before. Brother, Brother Bingham asked me, a couple of years ago, I, I was set to preach. I believe it was a midweek service. And he asked me, he said, now, Brother Jordan, are you nervous, son? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he said, good. Don't ever let that go because when you get behind that desk, you're not talking for you. You're talking for God. I said, don't worry, Bishop. I'm nervous. You can rest assured. But I felt that pressure of where, where do I start the story? And I, and I can't imagine the, the immense weight that must have been on John's shoulders. He's about to write the story of the Messiah. Where, where do you start the story of one who has no beginning? How do you begin a story like that? Matthew started it by going back to Abraham. If you're going to tell the story of the Jewish Messiah, it'd be a good idea to tell about the father of the Jewish people. I think that's a good place to start the story. Mark started it with the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He that is coming after me is mightier than I, and he that is after me is preferred before me. That's a good place to start the story. Luke started the story with an angel visiting Zacharias and saying, Son, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call him John. His name shall be John. And then the angel went to a virgin girl named Mary, and, she to and the angel told this girl, You are going to have a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. And to his kingdom there shall be no end, but his kingdom shall be everlasting. That's a good place to start the story. But that didn't work for John. John, he said, I, I can't start with the baby in the manger. I can't start with the mother of Jesus. I, I can't even start with Abraham. But there was something that stirred up in John. He said, if I'm going to tell this story, I'm going to have to start at the beginning. Because if you're going to tell the story of the beginning and the ending, you probably ought to start with the beginning. If you're going to tell the story of the Alpha and the Omega, maybe you ought to start telling about the Alpha. If you're going to talk about the one which was, which is, and which is to come, maybe you ought to tell us who he was in the beginning. And if John followed any kind of rabbinic procedure... To write this sacred text, he picked up that coolness, that, 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 that quill that was specially prepared for this purpose. And he pulled out his parchment of the finest grade. And he dipped that, that quill into the ink bottle. And he wrote, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Because John realized something. If you are going to understand anything about this Jesus, you're going to have to know about the Word. You're going to need to know something about the Word if you want to understand who this Jesus is. And I'm thankful today for the Word. The Word is pure, unbridled power. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. Literally being the expression 
of a thought. The word was the thoughts that God had been thinking, but now were being expressed by his voice. And when this word logos is used in reference to God, it literally means a decree, a mandate, or an order. When God expresses his thoughts into words, it releases the authority for it to be as he has spoken. That's why your Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was waiting. And there was a meeting that had to be called. And there was a council that had to get together. And there was a light switch that had to be hooked up. No, 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 no. It's the equivalent of a decree, a mandate, or an order. When he said, let there be light, there was light. Because when God speaks, it is so. When God said, let the waters be divided. When God said, let there be a firmament appear. Your Bible says, and it was so. You know why I get excited about the word? Because I realize that when God starts speaking, it means the authority and the power for it to be so is being released in that very moment it tells me that God's been thinking some thoughts but now it's time for some things to start happening in the earth when God starts speaking you can rest assured that he's not just thinking off the top of his head the thinking has already taken place in the mind of God the Logos is the expression of the thought of God and I want you to know this morning that God does not waste words God does not talk just to hear himself talk. And I don't know about you, but I know some people like that. Not in this church, of course, of course. But I know some people in a land far, far away, and churches much farther than here. Some people like to talk. I know some people who have a very short trip between what they think and what they speak. I even know some people who have no trip between what they think and what they speak. <laughs> they open their mouth and you're sitting there thinking, did you spend two seconds thinking about what was about to be? I know some teenage, uh, we're not getting on that. We, <laughs> did you spend two seconds? I said it wasn't this church. They said, that's crazy. Let, let me translate that for y'all. This is Teenagers speak when someone says, that's crazy. That means he's talking to you, but I'm too nervous to look at you to see if you are listening to what he's saying because he's talking about you. And that's crazy. You listening? <laughs> there are fingers being pointed right now. You stop it in Jesus' name. I'm talking about some people who just like to talk. I've been in some of those conversations where you don't know whether to nod your head or shake your head or look around for help. You don't know what to do. And then you get back to the house and your wife asks, what, what, were, they, what were they talking about? I don't know. What, what were they going on about? They were, they were just talking. About what? I don't remember. I'm going to be honest with you. Nobody, that's never happened in a conversation in this church. Of course. Of course. I'm talking about some people who like to talk. But I want you to know that our God doesn't talk just to talk. He doesn't talk just to hear his own voice. But there is power in his words. The writer of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 4 said, Where the word of a king is, there is power there is shalat there is power and authority when God starts speaking it's not him just wondering if it's going to be it's not him just wondering out loud no 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 when God starts speaking it is him releasing the power and the authority for it to happen I want you to know this morning that you are on the mind of God the writer recorded this in Jeremiah 29 and 11 
said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Somebody say me. Saith the Lord. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. I'm glad to know that I serve a God who doesn't think evil thoughts towards me. I wouldn't want to serve a God who was always trying to think about how to keep his thumb on me or what else he could do to punish me. I'm glad to know that the God we serve is good all the time. No questions asked. I'm thankful for the thoughts that he thinks towards me, but i got to be honest with you. I really like the words he speaks in Jeremiah 30. Because Jeremiah 29 has the thoughts. But Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse number 18 opens up like this. Thus saith. The Lord, behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on its dwelling places. The city shall be built upon her own heap and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. Can I read it to you in another translation? It says this, thus said God, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents. I will have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound and the fortress in the proper place. From them shall issue thanksgiving. I love the thoughts, but I really like to know that when God starts speaking, walls are going to be rebuilt. Thanksgiving is going to be given. Revival is going to happen. I love the thought of revival, but I'm thankful when God starts speaking. I've come to encourage a saint of the most high God today that you've been walking around with some old promises in your pockets. And you've started to wonder, God, is it ever going to happen? God, did you really mean it when you told it to me? God, did you really mean it when you said it? I want to remind you that in where the word of a king is, there is power. And when God spoke it into your life, he released the power and the authority for it to be as it was spoken. It may not happen when you wanted it to happen. It may not happen how you thought it should happen, but I want you to know if God said it, it will come to pass. If you believe that, somebody say amen. There is power in the word. In the beginning was the word, and all things were made by him. By who? By the word. Without him, without the word was nothing made which was made. By his word there was light. By his word there was a firmament and waters and dry land. But then he says, let us make man in our image. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. I find it fascinating today that when God wanted to make and create everything else, all he had to do was speak. But when he wanted to create you, he said he would do it. And then he released his authority to do it by reaching into the dust of the earth and forming you. And breathing the breath of life into you. I want you to realize how special you are today in the eyes of God. Because every other creature, every other existence in the universe was created simply by an utterance from God. But when he wanted to make you, he said, I'm going to have to get more personally involved with this. I'm going to form them with my very own hands. You have a special relationship with our creator Everything else was just a word, but with you, there was something special involved. There is an agenda, and I'm sure that you are aware of this, but there is an agenda that is trying to convince young people all across this world that they were born into the wrong body. That they were an accident, that they were a mistake, that they need to inject hormones and and all kinds of nonsense if they are going to become who they were supposed to be. 
I want you to know, and I want that agenda to know today that I defy that evil agenda. I defy every lying voice that would try to tell our young people that you've got to inject hormones. I would defy every lying voice that said you were born in the wrong body. I defy every confusing spirit that is trying to convince you that you need gender mutilation surgeries, that you need hormones, that you are not the way that you are supposed to be. But I want to remind some young people today, you were fearfully and wonderfully made God made you with purpose he crafted you with love he put purpose and desire in you you are made in the image of God and there is no lie there is no confusion that will ever change that that agenda is not getting our kids that agenda is not getting my kids because before my kid is ever old enough to talk, I've got a book titled In God's Image and I'm going to read it to him until he can't forget a single word on any page because I want him to know you were made exactly the way that God wanted you to be. From the very beginning, there was something different about our relationship with God than anything else in the universe. With them, God used his voice to create, but with us, God used his voice to communicate, to converse. It's the first time this has happened. God wasn't having conversations with the ravens and the donkeys. But you do find in your Bible that God is having conversations with man. And oh, how I wish the conversations with Adam and the Lord walking in the garden would have been recorded. Could you imagine listening to that? Hearing the sounds of the garden in the cool of the day and hearing the voice of the creator and the voice of the very first man created. I wonder the kind of conversations that they had in that garden. We know some of the recorded words of God to Adam when, when God blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply. And God gave them dominion and told them he had given them every herb bearing seed, every beast of the field. They had dominion over it all. I'm talking about some good conversations. Do you realize today that you were made to be a being that can communicate with the creator? You can't have a relationship with God if you don't talk to God. Because that's kind of the whole point. That's kind of the reason he formed man and breathed his breath of life into him. Because he wanted to have somebody to communicate with. You were designed to communicate with God. And I'm, I'm inclined to believe today that... Adam and Eve could have continued conversing with God, perhaps for eternity in that garden. But there is a moment that's recorded in your Bible where everything changed. Everything that was intended to be was shattered because of one decision to walk in sin. One decision. God had never asked a question in recorded biblical canon. God had said some things. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He didn't ask if there could be light. He spoke in statements. He spoke in declarations. He spoke in affirmations. But there was a moment recorded in your Bible where something changed. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8 says, On this day they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Because hiding behind a fig leaf is going to hide you from the eyes of God. Because hiding behind a misleading Facebook post is going to hide you from the eyes of God. You can't hide yourself from the eyes of God. You can't manipulate God. Mm. The next verse says this. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? Question mark. 
This is the first recorded question in your Bible. Adam, where, where are you? I, I don't believe that God needed the coordinates to which fig leaf he was behind. I don't. I think God was probably sitting there looking at him. So I, yeah, I, I can see you, buddy. But he, he asked the question, Adam, where are you? Because Adam had stepped into a realm that God had never been in. Adam had stepped into sin and suddenly Adam found himself in a place that God had no understanding of. He was in a place that God did not know. Hold on, hold, hold on a second, preacher. God knows everything. Yes, he does. But was it not Paul who wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Where are you, Adam? I didn't create you like this. I, I, I made you in my image. You were made in the image of a holy God. I am the God who is everything that sin is not. You've stepped into a darkness that I've never stepped in. But where are you, Adam? And, and Adam tries to string together words. He says, well, well uh, Eve, Eve gave me the fruit and I, and I ate it. And then you go talk to Eve. So God goes and talks to Eve. And Eve says, well, the, the, serpent, the serpent gave me to eat and, and so I ate. And, and they're trying to string words together to maybe give God some understanding of where they are. But you have to realize this morning there are some situations and some seasons that are so dark that words will never fully express. There are some people in this room today who have been in some of those situations and those seasons. That you can tell me where you've been, but I, I won't fully understand because words can only express so much. You can tell me what it was like to be, to be living homeless on the street and strung out in drugs. And, and I can sympathize with you and I can pray with you and I, I can do all these things. But words can only communicate so much. There are some situations and some seasons that you experience in life and that you go through and you struggle through. And you struggle to find the words. And, and, and maybe you thought to yourself, if I could just string together the right combination of words, I could fix this. But I want you to know there are some things that words alone will not Words can only communicate so much and Adam is sitting there trying to give words to God when God wants understanding. And the words were not going to cut it. And God sits there and he asks Adam, where are you? I don't understand what it feels like to be where you are at. I don't understand Adam, I've never been there, I'm, I'm perfect, I've never sinned, I know no sin, but Adam where are you? I, I was listening to a conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago between a, a clinical psychologist and a leading researcher in AI. And it was as riveting as that sounds. <laughs> That's what I do in my free time, in case you were wondering. I've had a lot of driving time recently. <laughs> I was listening to this conversation between a man named Jordan Peterson and a man named Brian Ramelli. And they were talking about... Artificial intelligence. You're talking about large language models and chat GPT and, and all these things. Has anybody ever heard of chat GPT before I jump off on a tangent? It's, it's a wild thing here. It's like you're texting a computer, but it texts back to you. And it speaks in coherent sentences. And it kind of freaks you out a little bit. I ain't going to lie to you. We've, we, we've become a bit of an early adopter of some of these technologies with our publishing company with, with the image generation side and the large language model side. It's, it's insane what these technologies can do. But they're having this conversation and it's so weird because you are talking to this computer and it, it talks back to you. And it doesn't even talk back. It just answers you in a nice tone. It's weird. <laughs> Teenagers can learn from that. 
Can y'all tell I've been with our young people all weekend? I love you guys. It talks, it, I do. That's crazy. It, it talks back to you. And so they asked the question. They, so he asked the question, this, this leading AI researcher, he says, you know, the one question we can't seem to quite figure out is, is we know it can comprehend, but does it understand? Does it understand? And the psychologist, he speaks up, he says, well, we can answer that question. He said, really? Please enlighten me. He says, neurological researchers have been studying what understanding is for a long, long time. I don't want to bore you with this. I promise we're going somewhere. He said, there are three things that the literature seems to suggest that have to happen if you are going to have understanding. Three things. The semantic must be translated into the imagistic. And the imagistic must be translated into the procedural. And everybody said, what? <laughs> Words must become images. And images must become actions. He said, let me, let me explain it like this. Maybe I wanted to teach you how to use a saw. And you know what? Brother Wally, it might be a good idea to know how to use a saw before you turn it on. Because I like my fingers. Praise God. And you probably ought to know how to understand how to use a saw before you turn it on. So if I just tell you, hey, you need to keep your hand at least four inches away from that blade at all times. I can tell you that, but that doesn't mean you understand. You know why? Because when I was a kid, my mom told me that that stovetop is hot. Don't touch it. You know what I did? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I did. I, I understood after that, and I promise you I didn't do it again. I did touch the lawnmower, even though they said that was hot too, but that was different learning experience. <laughs> I got one on both hands. Had to figure it out. <laughs> he said, I can just tell you, be careful with the saw, but but what if I told you the story of a man named Jamie Perkins? This is a true story. This is a man in North Carolina. He owns a construction company called Perkins Builder Brothers because they like acronyms as much as Pentecostal preachers do. It's Perkins Builder Brothers. And he, last year, he was working in his wood shop, and he had all of his machines going. He had noise isolation earphones on. Did not realize his jointer was still on, Brother Wally. And he reached back to grab a piece of wood, and before he knew what, was hap what had happened, he woke up in an ambulance and every finger on his, his left hand was missing. Do you see what just happened right there? The whole room just tensed up. You know why? Because you took those words and an image started playing across your mind. Maybe you've seen a jointer before. You, you saw the blade spinning in your mind. Maybe you saw what it would look like with your hand not not having the fingers it's supposed to have. Maybe, that, maybe that's what you pictured, but the words became images in your mind, but you still don't fully understand yet because there's one more step. And this, this, is, this is the point that he was trying to make. He said, AI cannot understand because it cannot do this last step. He said, the last step is you have to take those words and you have to take those images and you have to map them to a body to act differently. You can't prove that you truly understood how to use the saw until you step up to that saw and you start acting differently around that blade. Until you step up and actually let the words and the images start playing out in your body. And I'm sure the rest of the conversation was fascinating, but I'm going to be honest with you. My mind wandered off a little bit when he said that. Because I heard, driving down the road in my car, I heard the words of John echo in my mind. In the beginning was the word. And I heard when Paul wrote, who is the image of the invisible God? And suddenly it made perfect sense and clarity to me why the word had to be made flesh. 
suddenly it started making sense to me because the word and the image must be embodied before understanding happens. Oh, I feel my help in this place right now. AI will never understand you because it has no body. Those models will never understand you because they have no body to act it out. But you can believe it how you want to believe it today. But I believe that the heart of God in that garden yearned to understand where Adam was. When he said, where are you? He didn't want information. He wanted understanding. And I believe that you would hear if somehow we could pull up a recording of God asking that question. I believe that you would hear pain in the voice of a loving father. Where are you? I believe it was this question that became the catalyst for the greatest love story ever known to man. There were consequences to the sin, but God still wanted to understand. There are consequences to be paid, a flaming sword to be placed, but God still desired that relationship. So he begins communicating with man in a new way. He begins to paint the picture of redemption through images, through types and shadows. He commands Moses, hold up the serpent of brass in the wilderness. You know what that was? It was an image. John 3 and 14. It was an image of redemption. Because as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle to, to set the gates and to set the altar and to set the brazen laver and the holy place and the holy of holies and to assign priests. You know what that was? It was an image of what God wanted to do. Hebrews 8 and 5, the Bible said that those priests in that tabernacle, they served as the example and the shadow of heavenly things. A shadow is the exact replica of something. It moves how you move. If you stop moving it, it stops moving. It looks exactly like what the light is shining on. That brass serpent, it was, it was close, but it wasn't exact. That tabernacle, it was close. It was a shadow, but it wasn't the exact image. It wasn't until God stepped off his throne and robed himself in flesh that mankind finally saw the perfect image of the invisible God. And it is why Paul could write to the church in Colossae and 1 and 15, Who is the image? Of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. I believe today that Jesus Christ in flesh was the perfect image of the invisible God. I believe he is the only God you're ever going to lay an eyeball on. I believe it when he told Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I believe that Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. I believe it. The perfect image, because it would take a perfect image. But I want you to know today that there have been a lot of images on the face of the earth that have claimed to represent the gods. The image of the golden calf stood before Israel. The image set up in Babylon stood before Nebuchadnezzar and the people. The image 
The images sold by Terah and Ur the Chaldees stood before the idolaters of that region claiming to be representations of the living God. But I want you to know that that calf that stood before Israel could not understand the bondage that they were just brought out of. That image set up in Babylon could not understand the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they willingly walked into the fire. Those images sold by Terah and Ur the Chaldees had no understanding of pain, had no understanding of loss, had no understanding of sorrow. They could never understand the ailments that were prayed to them for, but they would never hear it nor understand it. And God could have stepped into the earth. He could have split the eastern sky and appeared as a perfect image. I believe he could have done that. I believe he could have just showed up as 30 or 33 years old and said, here I am. I am the God who created you. Here I am. Bow down and serve me. He could have done that, but only images don't have understanding. He didn't come just to be an image for you and I to look at and to leave on a cross on our wall. But John recorded in 1 and 14, he said, and the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. Why did you become flesh? Why did you have to dwell among us? Because the God who created your physiology and the God who created and wrote the laws of understanding, he knew that the only way he could understand where Adam was, was to walk where Adam walked. So the Bible said he became flesh. He became our kindred. He was born of a woman when he could have just split the eastern sky and appeared. He learned the trade of his earthly father when he could have just manifested in the Holy of Holies. He knew what it was like to have friends and loved ones. He knew the pain of losing a friend he was close to. He knew what it felt like to be betrayed by someone he trusted. He knew what it felt like to be wrongfully accused and lied on. He knew what it felt like to be sneered at and hated. That's why the writer could write in Hebrews 4, and 15 for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin can I translate that for you in common English we have a high priest who knows our weaknesses because he walked in our weaknesses he wasn't led into the wilderness so there could be a showdown between God and Satan he was led into the wilderness so he could stand against Satan as a man he didn't sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane as the creator. Those drops of blood came from the brow of a man getting ready to lay down his life. He didn't carry the cross up that hill with the strength of the creator God. He carried that cross with the waning strength of a failing body as a man. He was the one who for time immemorial he knew no sin but the writer recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 21. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why did you do it, Jesus? Why, why did you go through all of that? You're the all-powerful God. Whatever you say is. You could just say all sins are forgiven and it be so. You could just say the word. And Satan would be bound for eternity. And he could never tempt again. He could never move in the face of the earth. You could just say one single word. And nobody would, would ever have to worry anymore. We, it, it, you didn't have to go through all of that. You're, you make the rules. He could have done that. You're right. He could have spoken it. But we've already covered that. Words don't necessarily mean understanding. 
Because the only way to attain understanding is for the word to become an image. And the image to take action in a body. Maybe that's why 1 Peter 2 and 24. He wrote, who his own self bear our sins in his own crown of thorns that was placed on his head it was placed on his body that cat of nine tails that lashed against his back it lashed against his body that spear that thrust through the side of our messiah it was thrust through the side of his body when they hoisted that cross up and he hung there he hung there to display his body for all to see and as he lay on that cross Struggling to get his last breath, struggling in his human body, trying to take a breath. If you know anything about crucifixion, you know the primary way people die from crucifixion is not the nails in the hands or in the feet, but it's the asphyxiation and it's the suffocation of the lungs because his body cannot breathe. And as he laid on that cross, struggling in the body of a man, he gathered up the last bit of strength he had, and your Bible records that he cried out, It is finished. And I believe that the message reverberated from the supernatural to the natural. In that moment, I understand. I understand what you're going through, Adam. I've answered the question, where are you, Adam? Because I know where you are now because I've walked where you've walked. I know the shame that you feel that made you hide behind those leaves. You should have known better. You know that those could never cover your sin. But Adam, I know why you did it. I know why you tried to hide it. I know why you tried to, to, let, it, to let it just go. Because I understand the shame that was on you when you did it. I understand what it feels like. To be broken, to be battered, to be bruised. I understand what it feels like to be betrayed. I understand what it feels like to be tempted. I understand what you are going through, Adam. But Adam, I want you to know something else. I understand you, but I also forgive you. Adam, you don't have to carry it anymore because I understand. You don't have to carry it on your own anymore because I understand what you're going through. And there is, I'm reaching for somebody in this house this morning. Somebody, I don't know who you are, but I know that you have walked into this room today. And you have convinced yourself that nobody understands where you're at. You've convinced yourself that nobody understands what you've gone through. You've convinced yourself that nobody understands what you are going through. And you, you know what? There are, there's a lot of people in this room, they probably don't understand. I, you can explain it to me. You could sit here for the next four hours and try to tell me what you've gone through. And I might not understand it, but I want you to know there is somebody today who does understand. Because he was the God who stepped off of his throne. He didn't have to step off of it, but he knew if I want to understand, I'm going to have to make a change. He stepped into the earthly realm. He became the image of the invisible God. And he allowed that image to dwell in a mortal body. And he allowed that body to hang upon a cross. And he, when he could have brought angels, he could have sent ten thousands of angels to bring him off that cross. But he said, no, step back. You get away from me. I've got to hang here because I want to understand. And I believe with every fiber of my being today that when he was on that cross, he was doing it for you. 
He was doing it because you are going to walk into a service at FPC Anderson on a Sunday morning. And you are going to be convinced that nobody knew where you were at. That nobody knew where you were going through. That nobody could help you. You can't ask pastor for advice because pastor doesn't understand. You can't ask the bishop because bishop won't understand. You can't ask the youth pastor because the youth pastor won't understand. I want you to know if nobody else in this room understands where you're at, there is a God who is waiting for you at this altar this morning. He understands where you are and he understands where you've been and I want you to know you can bring it to Jesus you can give it to Jesus today you don't have to keep carrying that shame you don't have to keep you don't have to walk out today with the same shame that you carried into this place you don't have to keep hiding behind those leaves Adam you may be able to fool some people you may be able to fool your friends and your family you may even be able to fool your pastor but I want you to know God sees you today and he understands and he is ready to heal you I understand the temptation you fell to because I was tempted I understand the mistakes that you made. I understand the pain that you felt. I understand the weariness that you experienced. I understand the hopelessness that you battled. I understand where you are and where you've been. But you don't have to carry it alone for one more day. Because there is a God that has his arms wide open this morning. And he is just waiting for somebody to get enough courage. To get out from behind your pew. And to come to this altar and say, God nobody else knows where I'm at but God I know you too and God I am giving it to you this morning and God I'm asking you to take that shame you understand what the shame feels like I'm asking you to take it I'm asking for your blood to be poured out over my life today I can't live one more day in a secret I can't live one more day hiding behind these things God I refuse to do it God you understand where I am even if no one I don't know who you are or where you're sitting in this church today but I know somebody walked in here and you have said to yourself recently hear me if I've ever been in the Holy Ghost I'm telling you right now you have said the words nobody understands where I'm at God sent me here today to tell you that he does he does understand he does know where you are and he can heal it He can bring his healing balm to you today. He wants to restore that relationship. Maybe it's felt cold because you don't know who to talk to. But I want you to know God can restore it today.